0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Revolution Recap, coming to you after the revolution suffered a 1-0 defeat to the Columbus crew at Gillette Stadium on Saturday, May 19th. Um, this was a game where the Revolution were forced to make adjustments with Diego Fagundes out-suspended. Um, and In doing so, they came up with a, an interesting lineup that didn't see many changes on the field. Brian By stepped into the lineup over Diego Fagundes, but uh, an interesting formation shift in which the Revolution were playing you know either a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2 or you know, what, whatever you want to call it. It was you know something different in which Farrell was playing more as a center back alongside De La May and Annie Baba. Um, and then we saw Chris Tierney... Uh, and Brandon by as sort of wing backs rather than wingers, I would say. And um, this one and the Revolution had their chances early, but Columbus had some great chances as well. And at the end of the day, it was a wet, rainy game in which the Crew ended up getting a, a one nothing victory on an 85th minute goal by Loss Abu Bakr um, off of a set piece heading in a, a, a corner kick from Federico Igualin that uh, got the Crew the important three points in this one. Um, as the Revolution lost a, a rare a rare home loss for the Revolution. Um, and this one, a disappointing chance for the team to pick up three points against a, a rival that they'll be facing all season long for a playoff spot. Um, and, and here, miss an opportunity to to make some ground there. Uh, Greg Johnstone joining me today. I'm Sean Donahue. Uh, Greg, what were your takeaways from this, this match? Um, as I mentioned, obviously, a, a forced lineup change in the Revolution playing this one without Fagundes, who'd been their number 10 all season long.
1: Yeah, and, and I was going to say, I was going to talk about missing Diego Uh, seemed to be a key factor in yesterday's game. Brad Friedel seemed to have wanted to have uh, kept the players he started last week. Uh, I think based on his lineups, uh, what it seems like going forward is if they win, he's not going to try to change the players that were involved. He's going to try to play the hot hand because a lot of players like Somi and Zahibo were uh, left on the bench again for a second straight week, which was a bit of a head scratcher. You'd think they'd be in the lineup uh, considering their offseason acquisitions. And in the case of Zahibo um you and, and claude Dielna too uh they've shown some promise so for them to be sitting a second straight week uh it seems like you want to keep the same lineup in there but without diego fagundes they didn't have a lot of rhythm um they were seemed totally lost on offense um it's it's hard and I, I, christian Pena went over four in the first half in passing uh, they really had nothing their offense just never seemed to click and even though diego fugundes hasn't gotten on the short uh score sheet uh, a lot this season uh you can tell that uh missing his presence was a a big factor for the offense um 42% possession for the revs yesterday uh pass success rate of 66% Ah, uh, for a home team against a, a lower, uh, lower to mid-tier team like Columbus in the East, uh, those are really poor numbers, and uh, you know I, I think it just shows that uh, the offense kind of goes around Diego Fagundez, and uh, with him out of the lineup, uh, the Revs really could not adjust to it.
0: Yeah, and we talked about earlier about the opportunity was there for Kellen Rowe to you know make a case that he should be playing in that number ten role, and he only played forty-five minutes um, in Fagundez's absence, and again, obviously, different lineup. Different formation, but what did you think of Kellen Rowe's performance? Um, and were you surprised to see him come out at halftime of this game?
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised to see him come out at halftime. Uh, I thought with Fagundes out, it would be a chance for him to get more minutes. And then Zahibo came in and, and seemingly kind of played a little bit up more. And so uh, I thought that was kind of an awkward role for Zahibo to play. Um, so I, I thought Rowe was. I mean he, he certainly did not show uh, a lot of promise yesterday uh past success rate of 44% Um, really wasn't a factor that much in the game. But, you know, for someone who is as talented as Cullen Rowe, you'd think that uh, with uh, Fagundes and Juan Agudelo missing, uh, he'd certainly get his minutes and have his opportunity to uh, influence the game. And it seemed like even, you know, the Revs came out in a new formation and uh, they started really, really slow in that first half. Uh, You would have thought that maybe with halftime adjustments, you would have found a way to get Rowe more involved in the game. Uh, but apparently the revs thought differently and trusted Zahebo in that spot a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I was excited to see Conroe out there because, uh, you know, For a long time, I thought that that was the role that he should be playing more in the center, Um, but he really didn't impress. He only managed 16 touches, which, you know, that alone is not necessarily his fault if the team didn't give him the ball more, but, um, you know, he didn't do very much with those touches. Um, As you mentioned, 44% passing. He only attempted nine passes. Uh, Inside the penalty area, he was 0 for 3 in passes, and the attacking 30 he was 2 for 7. Um, So he really didn't get much going offensively for this team. Attempted one shot, and it wasn't on target. Um, but yeah no, I know I, I agree that the zahibo sub was a little bit surprising. Um, there was some talk before the game and Friedel mentioned that maybe he might start a central midfield of, of Caldwell zahibo and, and Gasedo um, We didn't see that but Zahibo came in and played more as the offensive guy I know Brian mentioned last week that that Caldwell in college had played as an attacking mid um, and, and you know as we were at the game I, I mentioned to you that it was interesting that the revolution all week, we're kind of promoting offensive chances that Caldwell was creating in practice and his, and his great shooting ability. Um, so I, I kind of thought we might see Caldwell move up into that role. Um, in the, it, you know when Zahibo came on, but it, it was Zahibo playing as the offensive guy. So that to me was you know particularly interesting. Um, the other thing I wanted to to point out. Um, and something that we both noticed was that the Revolution pretty much attacked, attacked exclusively down the right in this one. Um, I think 53% of their attacks uh, came down the right side as opposed to 25% down the middle um, and something like 22% in the left flank. So they, they really um, were focused down the right side. And Brandon by actually had 75 touches, the, the second most on the team, um, after Andrew Farrell, who had 80. Uh, why do you think the Revolution focused so much of their attack down the right side, particularly you know with guys like... Chris Tierney out there and, um, you know, Pania, who was playing more centrally this game. But were you surprised that the attack was so much focused on the left?
1: Yeah, I was certainly surprised by that. I think maybe they found uh, they thought Brandon Bay on that right wing might be a matchup they wanted to exploit. And certainly we saw Brandon By later in the game uh, go around a defender. One time he, he beat uh, a double team uh, and was able to get a couple low crosses in. Uh, none of them were successful, obviously, but uh, Brandon Bride did show a little bit of promise and, and seems to be able to use his speed to to work his way around defenders. So uh, maybe that was part of their game plan. They wanted uh, to get the ball to Brandon Bride and, and work the ball in from the right flank. Uh, but generally, uh, I would have assumed you would have wanted uh, Christian Panilla uh, taking defenders on one-on-one. Uh, now it seems like the part of the game plan was to get Panilla in the center of the field. Um, if you look at his heat maps, uh, and I know the influence map that you, you uh, shared with me before the podcast, Sean, uh, you know, Panilla is almost playing a central role, which uh, normally is not where we've seen him uh, throughout the majority of the season. So um, it, it seems to me that they, I think they just – Wanted to isolate Brandon by on the right wing and and have him be the person to distribute the ball into the center, uh, and it wasn't as successful I, I think as they had hoped as uh, as they had hoped it would work out. So um, that, that's the only thing I can think of. If it were me, uh, I, with Fagundes out, I would have been using Christian Panilla along the wing, the left wing, as much as I possibly could.
0: Yeah, it was interesting too because you mentioned Brandon Bay um, you know there were times where he looked really good, he had some great plays where he was beating guys down the wing. Um, but at the end of the day he finished with 37.9% passing accuracy, which is you know pretty pretty awful. Um, you can' can't really ignore uh, a number that, that that's that bad. Um, and in particular, he was six for six on backward passes. He was only five for 17 on forward passes. Um, so yes, there was promise there, but at the same time I think there's a, a lot of room for growth and a lot that he needs to work on um in that sense so i, I you know I, I, again i thought you know there are a few good things there but you know generally that the revs force it down the right so much was interesting um on the flip side chris tierney who didn't see as much of the ball as he often does he had 46 touches so nearly 30 less than brandon by um, was one of the revs better players statistically with with 76 passing accuracy he had four key passes um had that shot on target and you know i actually thought he looked pretty dangerous um so you know we talk about chris tierney and the lack of speed and how that can hurt him in the system but um to me he was one of the better players i think he was five for 12 on crosses connecting um so you know again i'm not really sure what the thought process was from brad Friedel with that the focus on the right and you know all of that and even if you look at the again the influence chart you talked about earlier chris tierney even was you know somewhat pinched in uh, on that. So I, I think the Revolution must have seen a mashup they can exploit. Uh, certainly, Harrison Awful as a right back is, is pretty good. Maybe they, they saw uh, Valenzuela, the left back, who's only 19 years old, as, as a guy that they could take more advantage of. But, um, you know, particularly as the match wore on, I'm, I'm a bit surprised we, we didn't see uh, more adjustments. In this one. And, and you mentioned Pania. I did want to touch on him briefly, too. He only ended up with 27 touches and 22% uh, passing accuracy. Uh, in, you know, not the best game for him. It um, he, he seemed like they were trying to put him in a more advanced role. And essentially, how do you think that worked out?
1: For Pania, I, yeah. I mean, I don't think it worked out very well. I mean, we, we talked about that stat from, you know, he didn't have a successful completed pass in the first half. Um, he he didn't seem to be a major factor in the game at all. So I think either way, you know, when your best player on the field has a non-factor game, uh, I think you kind of have to go back to the the chalkboard and uh, kind of find a different role for him. Uh, I don't think it was a bad idea to try it out, but uh, I certainly think that his uh, cre- creative skills are, are best suited for the wing. I don't think the central uh, forward position. Uh, or attacking central central kind of midfield position uh, really is his strong suit. I think you want him one on one taking on defenders on the uh, on the outside. Um, and and one more thing because I know you tossed out a lot uh, a, a lot back there. Uh, one more thing I wanted to notice about the the left side versus right side of the field uh, disparity that we saw was that in the first game with Columbus it was very evenly across the board. They didn't play this. Um, type of they didn't play the ball up the right wing as heavily as they did in their first match in Columbus and so I think it, it more has to do with the adjustments of Diego Fagundes not not being in, in the game playing that three five two it might be that they thought that Christiani was too slow and they wanted to push him up and they they thought the left flank might be exposed too much and so they were trying to keep the ball on the right side of the field as much as humanly possible um, but um, so I, I just wanted to throw that in there that Four or five weeks ago, when we saw this, these two teams playing Columbus, there was not that disparity whatsoever. So, it's a bit of it's a bit of a strange one. But um, I, I think overall, the strategy coming in and uh, kind of this hybrid formation uh, really, really fell flat. And getting back to Pania, you know, again, your your best playmaker is a non non factor in that game. So, uh, I, I don't think we'll be seeing this formation anytime soon.
0: Yeah, I know you bring up a great point in comparing it to the last game, and that kind of takes me to. Um... My takeaway from this one, which you know, is a little bit of a repetition from what I was talking about last week, and I just I, I think Brad Friedel struggles a bit to figure out how else this team can play other than with this high press, uh, because now we've seen two games in which the Revolution have faced the team for a second time. You know they did really well against Montreal the first time, albeit with the help of that red card, and then got crushed four to two by Montreal the, the second time. Um, they you know did decently against Columbus with that two two draw, and then I thought we're outplayed by Columbus the second time. Uh, and, And to me, it seems like teams are starting to figure out the high press a bit. The crew completed 107 out of 113 pass attempts in the defensive third. Um, So I don't think they were particularly rattled this game by the, the revolution's high press Um, in particular, their, their center backs in this game. Uh, Mensa had 90.6% pass completion. Uh, Abu Bakr, who also scored the game winner, had 88.2% pass completion. These are not the stats of guys that are particularly rattled by uh, the revolution pressuring them. And it just, you know, it, 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 Again, it didn't work out in this game the way we've seen it work out in the past. Um, And as I mentioned last week, the Revolution don't seem to be able to find a way, you know, in a game like this where they're at home to, to get more of the possession if they need to. Uh, so I, I, I think that Brad Friedel again needs to figure out some other way for this team to play um, when it wasn't working and to me this, it wasn't working in this game they weren't really creating many chances um, giveaways were happening you know in midfield where it's not as dangerous as you know if it's in the defensive third um, so you know once again I, I just think that this team has not proven an ability to shake things up and, and play in a different style um, when they need to uh, I, I'm just curious on your thoughts Greg if, do you think you know after seeing Two different times now, I went to Revolution. I played a team the second time, um, and to me, you know, haven't looked as good in in either of those second games. Is there, you know, some worry that this Revolution high press and the style is something that teams figure out after they've seen one time?
1: Yeah. And I, you, you kind of foreshadowed my point. I was going to bring up the Montreal game and how it seemed like the impact knew exactly what was coming and how to prep for it. And they seemed to exploit the backline very, very easily in that uh, game in Montreal a few weeks ago. Um, Columbus certainly did the same thing. The results were a little bit different. Columbus won on a set piece, which was kind of a a tough luck uh, corner for the revs. Uh, And, you know, I think Montreal won quite handedly, whereas Columbus kind of eked out a victory yesterday, but either way, I think in both, Scenarios, you know, the teams have seen the high press; they know how to play it. Um, and I agree with a lot of your points um, that you know they they're relying on the high press and they're relying on force and turnovers. And when you're not able to force turnovers and retain position uh, possession in the midfield, um, you know the Revs don't seem to have a the ability to create chances um, the way they want to. And, uh, I mean, the result is no goals. It's, it's plain and simple. So uh, I agree with a lot of what you say. I, I think the revolution need to, uh, you know, on nights where the high press isn't working, uh, mix up the looks a little bit and, and show them something differently. Uh, certainly did not work last night.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I completely agree with everything you said there. Um, I did want to touch on a couple other performances before we, we move on to, to questions um, and you know, t- some of the other topics. Uh, Farrell, I-, I thought, actually had one of the better games for this team kind of playing in that in that three man back line. And though it didn't work offensively, um, do you think there's any you know, potential that we see more of this going forward just based on you know, defensively? I thought they were decently solid back there um, with with De La Mea, Farrell and Anibaba. Baba.
1: Yeah, I think Andrew Phil had a great game uh, yesterday. One of the bright spots, um, he was able. He, I think the role he kind of played yesterday, where um, you know he was pushing up a little bit and uh, getting the ball to Brandon by but not going up too far and kind of playing a, a, a spot where he needs to cross the ball in. I think that kind of played to his strengths yesterday. Um, still only 65% pass uh, completion. Uh, but overall, he was the highest rated player for the Revs. So I, I think he had a really, really solid game. Um, De La Maya too, also had a great game. I think he had six tackles yesterday or six interceptions I don't have the stat out in front of me, but De La Maya played a a really solid game before he went off uh with with that injury yesterday. And I think since coming back in, I know he had the own goal, which, you know, he couldn't really do much about. But uh since coming back into the lineup he's been given some performances that uh have kind of held up. So uh it's good to see him getting some minutes and, and back in there. Um Anibaba was kind of a disappointment uh, yesterday along the back line. I think but I think that's just because he's raised uh, expectations of what to expect from him. Uh, I think it was an off night, and I don't think he should be removed from the lineup or anything like that. But um, certainly, uh, I, I think we uh, you know, kind of uh, expected him to be one of the more solid players along the back line. And I think he was the person that missed the header on the corner. Uh, so not, not his best performance. But overall, uh, you can't really... Uh, fault the back line for doing much, especially shifting from a four-man backline to a three-man backline. Uh I, I think they kinda proved uh they, they kinda held their own yesterday.
0: And, and what do we think about the substitutions? We I mean we, we talked about the, the halftime substitution bring on Zahibo Ferro Uh and Dalno was obviously a, a force sub with, with De La Mea getting hurt. But what do you think about A them waiting until uh the 86th minute to bring on you know additional attacking sub and, and try to to force something um, and, and B that Brian Wright was the guy that came on at that point.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think Brian Wright coming on it, it, it's very telling that, uh, Christian Namath might've have, have, has been knocked down a, a bit on the depth chart. Normally, uh, in recent weeks or normally we'd see Namath come in under oh, the 75th minute or so and, and come in and be an attacking option off the bench. Uh, that's kind of what I was expecting. Um, now, I think the revs didn't want to change too much until the goal happened. The sub came two minutes after the goal, so that's how I kind of read that situation. Uh, I think if that game is 0-0, I think they keep Scott Caldwell in the midfield. I think they, um, I don't want to say play out a 0-0 draw, but um, I, I don't think they make that substitution there. Uh, I think Brian Wright was, uh, they wanted some quick legs at the end, and I think they wanted to give him a chance to uh, you know, get lucky, but... Uh, unfortunately, uh, he he wasn't able to. He only got one shot off and uh, didn't wasn't the prettiest of balls. So, uh, mm-hmm. but um, overall, I I think it's very telling about Brian Wright coming into that spot and not Christian Nemeth. I think that kind of shows that Christian Nemeth is uh, now may, might be the third string forward uh, behind um, uh, Bunbury and Wright and Agadella when he comes back. So I'm not sure how much longer he has in the 18 or if we're going to see him get many more chances with the Revs, especially if Brian Wright you know, comes off the bench one of these games and scores one or or you know, feeds an assist. I, I think that might be uh the boost that Brian Wright needs to uh get some minutes.
0: Yeah, I agree. That was the sub that was, you know, the most interesting. Here you got a guy, Christian Namath, who as we've you know talked about before, is making a million bucks um, to not play very much, and you know, an opportunity to bring on an attacking guy, and they go to to Brian Wright, the the second year player, I think making fifty seven thousand or something along those lines. Um, you know, I, I thought he was actually decent. We can talk more about that. Cause I think we have a Twitter question about it. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was very telling that Namath didn't make a sub, didn't come on that at that point. Um, the other guy that we didn't see in this game was Zachary Haravu, who we've heard a lot of talk about this past week. Um, you know, he, he made his season debut last week. Brad Friedel was talking about how they've been considering starting him several different times. Um, we, we heard Brad Friedel say earlier in the season that he was the you know backup number 10 if, if something happened to, to Fagundes. Of course, that was a game in which Calum Rowe wasn't available. Um, and there was talk all week that it might be Haravu that gets to start uh, in place of Fagundes instead of Rowe. Um you know, what do you make of of him not appearing in this game? And and again, that I think that Dialna for substitution um, changed things a bit. But uh, particularly with the halftime sub of, of Zahibo coming on and playing as kind of the attacking mid, what do you, what do you make of seeing no Haribu in this one?
1: Yeah, I, I I was a little confused too because I would have thought that the person coming on for four row would be Haribu. Um, and I thought it would be later in the game, of course. I think we were all kind of surprised that Roe came off at halftime. But, um, and again, you make a good point that with Claude D'Elma coming on, maybe Haravu was that second midfielder that they wanted to bring on, uh, you know, around the 60, 65th minute. Uh, but I'm very surprised he didn't come into this game. Uh, I thought that um, he would have been a better fit for the role uh, Zahibo was told to play. Um, to my understanding, he, he didn't get hurt or anything. Uh, in recent weeks, uh, he should be at full health, and you know he's been getting some minutes in recent weeks. He got he had that 30-minute stint uh, last week. Uh, so, and and I was impressed with him. He made a couple of nice passes. So, uh, I, I was kind of surprised. I think they could have used him in the, uh, that game. I think he might have been able to. Uh, provide something in the midfield, uh, provide some possession. Um, now, I don't think he he would have totally changed the game altogether, but um, I think in hindsight, I, I think if you could go back in time and maybe put Haribo in, in midfield instead of Zahibo and telling Zahibo to push up and, and uh, you, know, you know, make plays, I, I think you do that. Um, and another thing too, Sean, is that I, I noticed too, that uh, if you look at your influence map that you sent me, uh, I'm not sure which app you're getting that from, but um, Zahibo and Bunbury are located in the same area. So so Zahibo was pushing up just as high as Teal Bunbury was throughout the course of the game, just to kind of show you that Zahibo wasn't sitting back as he normally does. Um, and in my opinion too, you'd want a, we talked about Scott Caldwell, uh, or a Zach Aravo, who, who was playing um, kind of not, not a 10 position, but... Um, you know, he, he was in a, uh, attacking midfielder role a couple of weeks ago. And Brad Friedel has talked about him being the 10, uh, in my opinion, if Zach Haribo is your, you know, backup 10 to Fagundes and Fagundes isn't playing, how, you know, how is he not involved in this game, uh, at any point? Uh, it's, it's kind of a strange, I don't really understand the substitutions and really the only explanation I can understand is, uh, you know, the Claude Dielma substitution kind of messed up what Friedel had planned, but total head scratcher to me
0: and and tactically just one other point i wanted to make that i was you know thinking about as we we're going through this i um, also looking at some of the highlights with with the set pieces you, you know going into a game like this where you know the weather's not great um you're playing a team like columbus that set pieces are going to play a role and certainly they did in this one um we talked a lot last week about how we were surprised that zahibo was benched um in that game and Certainly, this game Zahibo is a guy at six foot five that's been you know phenomenal on set pieces for this team with you know three goals, um, and, and just adds a, a great presence there. Um, you know, again, given that in the Montreal game where they lost four to two, Zhebo at least to us was one of the guys that you know could, could lead that game with with some credit for a good performance. Um, tactically, looking at you know the situation, you knew this game was going to be. Uh, do you think Brad Friedel should have you know factored that in when he was putting his starting lineup out there? That you know having a guy like Zahibo out there, not just for his prowess as a defensive midfielder. Um, would be very helpful in this game on on set pieces and certainly when you have guys like Chris Tierney you know the service is going to be better than uh, it is in some of these other games.
1: No, absolutely. I I agree with that 100%. Uh, and and I'll, I'll go not only uh, I'm going to reiterate your point about Zahebo, but not only am I going to agree with that, but uh, I'd mention we talk about Somi on this podcast. I feel like I, I they talk about you know Tierney's uh ability to to you know create as a passer uh, and crosses. I mean, I, I think the role that Tierney played yesterday would have been really, really good for Somi, where you kind of push him up the field, uh, kind of use him as speed. If you if you have Somi and By on both sides of the wings, I think you're able to use that left flank now. Uh, you're able to, uh, you know, kind of push the ball with speed up both sides. So um, I, I think Sahibo would have been a good fit yesterday. Uh, now, I, I can't totally argue with, you know, I look at uh, Caicedo, Caldwell-Rowe, if you're telling me. Which one and would I sit in that scenario? I'm not sure. I'm not totally confused about that one uh, and or, or that decision, I should say. I think Zahibo should have been in the lineup, but uh, I'm not totally scratching my head over him not being included, especially with, since he was sitting last week too., uh, but I think Somi would have been a, a good fit for uh, that kind of wingback position that Tierney played, and I think he would have potentially thrived in uh, in that role if we were able to see kind of his offensive abilities. Uh, similar to what we saw from Brandon by last night.
0: Yeah, and just to reiterate the other point I was making, um, with Chris Tierney out in the field, you know, you mentioned Sonny could have been a good fit there, but with Chris Tierney out in the field now, he's had gotten two starts this season, and to me, the biggest attribute of Chris Tierney, particularly at this point in the in his career, is his ability to cross and his ability on on set pieces. Uh, I, I know he took at least five free kicks last night, two of them connected. Uh, had some dangerous ones. There was one that Annie Baba probably should have put away that he he missed uh, high with the header. Um, but it's unfortunate that the two times this year we've seen Chris Tierney, Zahibo has been benched for those two games. So your best set piece target hasn't been out there when your best set piece taker has. Um, and, you know, I I don't know if, you know, Friedos thought a lot about that, but it just, you know, it's again, in a game like this where you know it's going to be grinded out, you know, wet, you're not going to be playing the, the beautiful attacking soccer. Um, not that we've seen the revolution do that much this year, but you know, you just know that's how the game's going to play out, um, to, to, see that, you know, they missed an opportunity for Zahiba to be in there on those set pieces. And there were a lot of them that the revolution had that they you know, perhaps could have done more with. Um, just interesting, interesting decision there. Um, and I'm, I'm curious what changes we'll see next week, but we can talk about that as we discuss that game. Uh, but I do want to get to the Twitter questions. I think we might just have one this week. Could you take us through that?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, from at any revs UK, who probably the biggest revolution fan in the uh, across the pond. Uh, He's a supporter of ours. And uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, you should follow him on Twitter. He has a podcast, too, that comes out on Thursdays or Fridays. So if you need another podcast to listen to during the week, we highly recommend uh, his podcasts. Uh, So give him a follow if you can. But uh, he he sent us a question uh, regarding Brian Wright. Uh, He said that uh, after Brian Wright's first appearance of the season, uh, although it was brief, what do we make of his appearance?
0: And I thought he looked good. I mean, you know, 50% passing. He didn't have that much time. It was only four minutes. I thought he earned a penalty kick. Um, We didn't talk about that play. That was interesting late in the game where he got tripped up in the box, and it it looked like the referee was about to blow the whistle, and then the referee tripped and didn't end up blowing the whistle. Um, I'm not sure what happened there. That looked like a penalty kick to me, and I don't get, you know, why if the referee was about to blow his whistle, which... it looked to me like he was, and maybe he was just getting ready to think about it, or in case he got a you know, call in, in his headset from one of his assistants. But uh, that was interesting. And then By had got himself in a dangerous position later on, um, and had a good chance that he sent wide that went out for a throw-in. I think he, you know, would, would want that one back and a chance to do better there. Um, but considering how little he's played, it, you know, not surprising. There's a little rust and a missed opportunity. But um, it was only you know four minutes plus stoppage time. But I thought he showed more. Than, uh, Christian Namath has shown this season which is not a lot
1: yeah I, I was just about to say the same thing he didn't he he wasn't on very long but he showed us more than Namath has shown us all season long um and and I will say too I mean we're judging this based off of five minutes plus stoppage time but uh Brian Wright was involved in the game uh he as you said he draw he should have drawn a penalty. Uh he did get a shot off even though he kind of shanked it very, very far to the left. Um he, he showed some potential. I think I think last week I talked about Haribo and I said, you know, he showed flashes of potential. Uh and it's it's nicely excited about someone like Haribo. Uh Brian Wright I think showed a little bit in in that glimpse amount of time that uh that um you know he he might be suited for the 18. He might be able to provide a spark uh going forward. So um I, I'm a little bit excited. It's not it's hard to get too excited about it since he didn't bag a goal or didn't get a shot on target, but um, you know, he, he came in and he uh, made his presence felt. Uh, Another thing too, I'm going to mention is that when he was drafted, um, not this season, but last season, uh, he, he had a very stellar preseason. Uh, He kind of showed off flashed a lot of potential. Um, So, uh, you know, I've, I think I've been a fan of Brian Wright. Uh, I think that it was kind of disappointing not to see him get minutes last year uh, as in a reserve role. But um, I think this might be a situation like Femi from two or three seasons ago, where Femi was coming off the bench uh, with 20, 25 minutes, uh, and you know making himself a part of the game. I think Femi finished the his first season with two goals and two assists. But when he came on, uh, he was a spark plug in that offense and uh, really put in some good minutes off the bench. And I think Brian Wright could be that this year, uh, based on that, again, really, really small sample size. I, I can't get too, too excited. But, um, from what, uh, I remember from preseason a couple years back and from, uh, a few minutes yesterday, uh, I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him come off the bench, uh, in a regular rotation. Uh, and I certainly would rather see him than Christian Namath, who I know we feel he has the potential, but for whatever reason, doesn't seem to be sticking with this, uh, revolution team.
0: Yeah. And just, Going over Brian Wright's stats, in in those very brief minutes, he had two shots, one on target, had a key pass, um, one two aerial duels. So, you know, you can't ask for much more for a guy coming in to, to, to play the last five minutes and provide an offensive spark. I think those are, you know, pretty impressive stats. Um, again, with the exception of you, would have liked to see him his finishing a bit better, but um, you know that that's a lot. He has statistically, you know, for the for those five minutes, did about as much as Teal Bunbury did. Um, and again, stats don't tell the whole story, but uh, I, I definitely think he's earned himself more more minutes going forward. Um, if the Revolution are down in a game, you know, he's an opportunity to, option to provide a spark off the bench. And I think next game, um, if the Revolution are down, that you know maybe we see Brian Wright a bit earlier than the eighty six minute. Um, and with that, I did want to get forward to the upcoming schedule for the Revolution because it gets a lot harder from here. Um, you know, I would, I would argue that looking at their schedule, I'm not, it's, it's a while until they're going to be the favorite in the game again. Um, on Saturday, they're traveling to Vancouver. Uh, and then they have a Wednesday game after that against Atlanta, who has been doing phenomenal. Uh, and then they have another Saturday game against the, the Red Bulls. So starting, you know, after the game Saturday, it's the first time the Revolution have had a midweek game and. There's more midweek games down the road after that. Um, But let's just jump into the Vancouver game first. Uh, Revolution traveling to BC Place to play the Vancouver Whitecaps at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, that game on NBC Sports Boston. Um, Greg, what's your prediction for that one Um, and and any lineup changes? And before I I jump into that, just for for context, uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps have been Uh, interesting up and down season for them. They're four five and four fifth place in the Western conference uh, with a negative eight goal differential as they've conceded 24 goals, um, which is third worst in the league. So what do you see happening in that game, Greg?
1: It's kind of tough to predict too, because we don't really know where this lineup is going to shake out next week. Um, Especially with the midweek game with Atlanta. Uh, We don't know if we're going to see rotation in the Saturday game. We don't know if we're going to see rotation in the Wednesday game. Um, and we have no idea what formation they're going to come out with. Um, I assume we're not going to see a three, five, two. I think we're going to revert back to uh, our preview form formations. Uh, I think Diego Fagunda is coming back. will be a nice help, but uh, it's, it's certainly a tough task to go across the country and play in Vancouver. Uh, Kai Kamara revenge game too. Uh, got to remember that, that uh, storyline too. So um, I'm going to go with a two, one Vancouver win. Uh, I think the revs still have kind of, they haven't proven a lot on the road. Um, I think it, it's going to be a, a difficult match, too, and um, it, it'll, it'll be a close match. I think they'll be in an all-game, but Vancouver knows the high press is coming, and uh, I, I'm not sure if the Revolution offensively have kind of stuttered in recent weeks, and I wonder if uh, without those turnovers, uh, if, they're, if they're unable to create turnovers, are they going to be able to create chances, uh, particularly on the road? So uh, I'm going to go with a 2-1 uh, Vancouver win, and I'll give Kai Kamara the game-winning goal just as the extra dagger to the heart.
0: Any guesses on lineup changes for this one?
1: I'm not even I, – I mean, I don't know. I have no idea because it seems like every time I predict the lineup, it's 100% wrong. Um, I, I think next week we'll probably see similar to um, – I, I think Brandon by is going to head back to the bench. Uh, I think Fagundes comes back in. Uh, I think that's the only change we, they, we make, I think Tierney starts for a third straight game. Uh, and then I think Delema, depending on what happens with his, uh, injury, uh, he might sit out next week due to injury protocol, concussion protocol. I think he went off with a concussion. I'm not 100% sure. So don't quote me on that. Uh, but, um. Uh, I could see D'Angelo come in if Dilema is not 100% next week. So, uh, I, I think he's going to stick with uh more or less what what he had out on the field. Oh, and and uh Zahibo Ferro. I guess I do have some changes. Zahibo Ferro, uh Fagundes for bye. Those are my two changes next week.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're you're probably right on those changes. I agree with that. Uh, the uh, the curveball is whether or not Juan Igodello is is ready to go. Um I think he was upgraded to questionable for this one, which means there you know there might be some hope that that he gets closer for next week um but even if he does it's you know it's quite possible that he's not ready to start um certainly I think Fagundes comes back in for for bye um and I I think Rose probably earned himself a spot on the bench at least based on you know that substitution and the performance he had um you know maybe if you know if what Brad Friedel has been saying has been more than lip service we see Zach Hervu uh get into the lineup uh at some point but you know, I don't know, and I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see this this strange formation that we saw in this game. I'd, I'd imagine it'll be, you know, Farrell as the the right back, and um, maybe we see Somi again. But I actually thought Tierney um, in this game performed even better than he had in the last game. I think, you know, after the last game, all of us thought Somi might go back in because Tierney didn't really do too much to to earn that uh, starting spot. But I actually thought in this game, despite the loss, Tierney played um, a lot better and you know had had a good influence when he did see the ball. Um, but you know, I'm also not at all optimistic about the Revolution's chances in this one. Vancouver's defense has been quite porous, so I think there's an opening there for the Revolution to get a goal or two. Um, but I'm gonna go with Vancouver scoring one more goal than, than Greg did, and, and say this is a three-one win for Vancouver, um, and the start of a very, very difficult schedule for the Revolution. Uh, with that you know, game in Vancouver, followed up by a home game against Atlanta United, who have been the best team in the Eastern Conference, uh, followed up by a game against the New York Red Bulls, um, who have you know, arguably been the second best team in the Eastern Conference and actually have better points per game than, than uh, Atlanta United at this point. And I think they actually, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe they played Atlanta United this past weekend. Um, yes, they did, and came away with a 3-1 road win. So um, those will be some tough tests for the Revolution, and I think it's know asking a lot for them to come away with you know, a lot of points from from this stretch uh, but Greg did you have any shout outs today on this one
1: yeah uh, just just the uh, US Open Cup update uh, uh, Elm City Express moving on to the third round uh, They're continuing their hot streak Carried over from last year uh, So uh, I think they're playing the Charleston Battery of the USL in the third round Next, uh, they beat Seacoast United 2-0 So uh, they're they're showing a really, really strong First US Open Cup campaign uh, Best of luck to them in the third round uh, And also just a shout out to all the fans That braved the weather last night um, Sean, you and me were, were watching that game from uh, From the field, it was pretty miserable weather uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, unlike some pretty boys up in the press box, <clears throat> Brian, uh, who didn't sit with us, I, I got to say, uh, it was not the best weather and uh, the spores were pretty loud all night. So, um, you know, certainly wish they had a better result uh, for braving the storm, but uh, good for the fans that came out yesterday and uh, showed their support. Not not the best weather.
0: And we did see a, a few crew fans in the stands, too, showing the uh, support for the crew, who, you know, as we discussed, yeah, yeah as we discussed, yep who, you know, they've been looking to move to Austin, but uh, tough to be a fan of the crew right now, knowing you know not knowing whether or not you should be going out there and, and supporting a team that they're looking to move um, and putting money in the pockets of, a, of an owner that seems like he doesn't want to stay there. Um, but, you know, it was good to see some Columbus crew fans out there and an MLS original that, um, you know, has, has, has been in the league for so long and, you know, disappointing, as we've talked about before, that they're looking to move that team. But... Uh, good to see some crew fans out there. And again, also agreed shout out to the revolution fans that, that stood out there for yet another rainy home game. Uh, hopefully we get some better weather (laughs) in Foxborough as the, as the season progresses. Um, but with that, Greg, do you want to give your uh, Twitter handle? And of course the uh, revolution recap, Twitter handle.
1: I was going to say, follow us at revolution recap. Uh, my personal is at G Johnstone 12. And also like us on Facebook. We have a Revolution Recap Facebook page that we kind of neglect. Uh, if you have Facebook, feel free to like us there too.
0: Yeah, we always post when we have a new episode up on there and haven't done too much with it otherwise. But uh, if we get a few more likes on there, maybe maybe we can make better use out of that one. Um, so as Greg said, definitely follow Revolution Recap on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, and you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. A uh, bit of a shorter episode today as we were down a man, but uh, you can hear us again next week. I'm actually going to be traveling, so... Uh, It'll be, I think, Greg and Brian and perhaps Ryan next week as we try to figure out how how the uh, team goes without me. But thanks again for listening this week.